Today is a Sunday known as Palm Sunday. It's referred to as such because of the palms that were strewn in front of the donkey that Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem just prior to his death. It was on that occasion that Jesus was being proclaimed as king. In Matthew chapter 21 and following it reads, And when they had approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go ride into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now this took place that was spoken through the prophet, that it might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. There is a very important motif that runs through the entire scripture, and that is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is central to our understanding of the Bible and certainly to the life and ministry of Jesus. In Hebrews 1.8 it says, But of the Son he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The Bible uses the term kingdom of God in three different ways. There is the eternal kingdom, of which God has always ruled over, as the creator of heaven and the earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He rules over all things, always has. Then the Bible speaks of the present aspect of the kingdom. That kingdom that Jesus rules over in the hearts and lives of his people, as we acknowledge him as King and Lord of our lives. And then there is a future kingdom in which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And when he does, he's going to rule over all peoples alike, believer and non-believer, bringing peace and safety and righteousness to this world. And then ultimately, that kingdom will come to an end with a climax and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. As I said, that kingdom is both present and future. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subject to him. Everything has been put under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the scripture says, but we don't see that yet. It isn't visible to our eyes. We still see unrighteousness. We still see unholiness. We still see the wicked prosper. But everything has been put under the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is being patient with mankind. And bringing people to a place of repentance. But one day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. And when he does, the scripture says he will rule with a rod of iron. Everything, then, will be clearly seen 
to be under his jurisdiction and his power. He'll reward good and he will punish evil. This is described in many places in the Old and New Testament. But in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there arose loud voices in heaven, heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. A foundational verse to one of the greatest uh, epical uh, renditions and music of uh, all times, uh, the Messiah. This morning, I don't have one particular text, but rather I want to talk to you about the importance in the scripture of the kingdom. I'm going to be looking at many, 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 many texts this morning. Uh, It's going to be virtually impossible for you to be able to turn with me fast enough for all these passages. So I'm just going to invite you to listen to what the Word of God has to say about the kingdom of God, and in particular, its importance. First, the importance of the kingdom can be seen in the emphasis that it receives in Christ's teaching. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, in the early Galilean ministry, it begins with these words. And Jesus went all about Galilee, teaching their synagogues, and preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Luke records that Christ came for the kingdom's purpose. Luke 4, 43. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. That was the primary purpose and role of Jesus' coming the first time to earth. To preach the gospel of the kingdom. And many times today we refer to the gospel, but we truncate it. We make it short. We use an abbreviated shorthand version to refer to the gospel. But in the word of God, the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. It's the good news of God's kingdom. And the gospel centers on how a person can be a part of the kingdom of God. I'll say more about that in the future. But the Sermon on the Mount is devoted to an exposition of the character and conduct of those who are citizens of the kingdom. It begins with a series of pronouncements of blessing to those who belong to the kingdom and concludes by making a sharp division between those who will enter the kingdom and those who will not. So Matthew 5, 3 states, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In forecasting the course of the age to his disciples, Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. The end won't come Until the gospel is preached to every single nation of the world. When the scripture uses the word nation, it's not referring to ethnic boundaries. It's not referring to places such as the United States or Russia or geopolitical locations. 
But when the word nations appears in the scriptures, it's referring to people's language groups. It is the people that speak English, the people that speak Spanish, the people that speak whatever language it is that they, they speak. It will be to all people's groups. But notice, it is the gospel of the kingdom that is preached to all peoples, and then the end will come. In teaching the truths of salvation, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about the kingdom. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There is no part in the kingdom of God without being born again. We'll talk more about that at the end of the message. The importance of the kingdom is seen in the narration of the events in Christ's life. It is central to our understanding of who Jesus is that we understand He is the King. He is the one who comes in absolute authority before God. And the kingship is central to every facet of Jesus' earthly life and ministry. The narration of the birth events concentrates on the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many verses that I could use here. I chose just one. That is when the wise men come and say, Matthew 2, 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then, of course, Herod views him as a threat to his own throne and has everyone two years and old, uh, every, every male child, slain. But it centers around his kingship. Christ's miracles are instructive teaching concerning his kingship. There are two primary uh, responsibilities, if you will, of a king in the Old Testament. A, A king was desired for his ability to provide for his people and to protect or deliver his people. And Jesus used the miracles that he performed to demonstrate those two qualities in his kingdom. First, his ability to provide. We could look at many. I will just refer to the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And it says this. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed into a mountain himself alone. When the people ate of the bread that he provided, they wanted to come and to make him their king by force. But he refused that. He didn't come to rule this earth at that time in a political sense. But Jesus used his miracles to demonstrate his kingship. It begins by demonstrating his rule or authority over all creation. You may remember the incident of when Jesus is with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. He's 
asleep in the boat, and a great storm comes upon the sea, and the winds come, and the waves rise, and the disciples are fearful for their lives, and they wake Jesus. And in Matthew 8:27, he commands the winds and the sea to cease. And the result is, in Matthew 8:27, the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? To demonstrate his authority, his kingship over all of creation. Jesus used the casting out of demons to demonstrate his rule over the spirit world. We are told in the scripture that all things are subjected unto him. Things in heaven, things in the earth, things under the earth. And to demonstrate his authority over even the spirit world, Jesus repeatedly cast out demons. And in Mark 127 it says, And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. See, that's the key thought about Christ's kingship. That word obedience comes up time and time again. The disciples marveled and said, even the winds and the sea obey him. Even the unclean spirits obey him. Because that is what a king is due. Obedience. Jesus' healings demonstrated his authority to forgive sins. We find in the Word of God that as a result of sin entering the world, a curse has come upon this entire creation and with it a curse upon mankind. And among the curses that have come upon mankind is our diseased bodies. It is because of sin that Mankind dies. The wages of sin is death. Jesus came and conquers. He rules over sin and death. His bodily resurrection that we're going to celebrate next week is demonstration and reality of his ruling over sin and death. Jesus performed the miracles that he did to demonstrate He has that kind of authority. He is able to raise the dead. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He heals Jairus' child. And in Matthew chapter 9, after healing the paralytic man, he says this, Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but in order that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the man who was paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he arose and went home. Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven. 
those that were gathered were astounded that Jesus would say such a thing. He said, which is easier to say? Rise and walk, or your sins are forgiven. But he said, I said your sins are forgiven so that you would know, that you would understand the importance of what's taking place. Jesus didn't heal everybody that came into his acquaintance. Not every leper was cleansed when Jesus died. Not every crippled walked before Jesus died. That is not why he came. He did not come to heal every leper and to have every crippled man walk. And yet he could say, when he died on the cross, it is finished. The work that God had given him to do, he had accomplished. Why? Because the miracles were simply illustrative. They were to demonstrate he has that kind of power. He has that kind of authority. And one day, we all are going to be resurrected. One day, every child of God is going to be healed. There's going to be no more pain. There is going to be no more sorrow. There is going to be no more disease. There is going to be no more heartache. One day it's coming. And that future kingdom is absolutely real. Jesus came to demonstrate the reality of that kingdom. And he performed the miracles to show that he indeed has that kind of ability and power. The triumphal entry that we're celebrating today is a proclamation of Christ's kingship. All four Gospels record the triumphal entry as fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king comes to thee. Christ's death centers upon his kingship. The accusation that was brought against Jesus pertained to the kingdom. Why did Jesus die? Humanly speaking. What was the human motivation? Well, the answer was that he was put to death because he claimed to be a king and Rome viewed that as treacherous. Luke 23, 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now, it is true that Jesus claimed to be a king. It is false that he said you should not give tribute to Caesar. They lied. But the point is, his death centered upon his kingship. The mockery at the cross centered upon his kingship. And Matthew twenty-seven twenty-nine. And when they had plated a crown of thorns, they decked Jesus out as they lead him to his death. The first thing they did was they weaved out of a briar of thorns a crown to mock his kingship. And they put this thorny briar on his head to make fun of the fact that here is the king. And they put in his right hand a reed to symbolize a scepter. And they bowed before him and mocked him saying, Hail, 
king of the Jews. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down off that cross. They mocked him. They said he can't save. He can't deliver. A king delivers. And he can't even deliver himself. Because he is hanging upon a cross. If you be a king, then you come down off of there. Well, he could deliver himself. He chose not to deliver himself so that he could die in our place. So that we could experience the forgiveness of sins. So he could deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. And transform us into the kingdom of light. The official placard at his death related to his kingdom, Matthew twenty seven thirty seven, And they set over his head, his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And they wrote it in three different languages. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The thieves that hung next to Jesus, one on his left, one on his right, entered into the same mocking as the crowd and the chief priests and the other rulers. And they mocked Jesus. And then the one thief quit mocking Jesus and believed in Jesus. And he said to him, Jesus, Luke 23:42, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. A simple way of saying when your kingdom is fully established, think kindly of me. The importance of the kingdom can be seen in its emphasis in the Acts and the Epistles. This just isn't new, this isn't just the Gospels. This just isn't the time before Jesus dies. It isn't just the time before the resurrection. The gospel of the kingdom is central to the whole New Testament. Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared to the disciples and spoke to them concerning the kingdom. Acts 1-3. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. When everything was summed up, when the writers wanted to give us a a summation of what Jesus taught and spoke about after his resurrection, when he appears to his disciples over numerous occasions, he spoke concerning the things of the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom. Philip preached the kingdom of God, Acts 8.12. But they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Baptism, which we're going to celebrate next Sunday night, was associated with Christ's kingship. When they believed the preaching of the good news about the kingdom of God, 
They were baptized, men and women alike. In Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus had arisen from the dead, he met with his disciples and he said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. My kingship exists everywhere. Go therefore and make disciples, followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When a person is baptized, they are publicly recognizing the kingship of Jesus Christ. They are seeking to follow Him, seeking to obey Him, seeking to do His will. The disciples were being encouraged to look forward to the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul preached the kingdom of God. Acts 19.8 And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. It's not just the Gospels. Paul's preaching, Paul's Gospel is called the Gospel of the Kingdom. Paul defended himself before the authorities by explaining the Kingdom. Acts 28-23 And when they had set a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God. Paul continued preaching the kingdom of God after his arrest. Acts 28-30 And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God. Of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhitteredness. He preached the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God that's to motivate our preaching. Second Timothy four one. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. In accordance with his kingdom, when he appears, he's going to judge the living and the dead. So, preach the word. Be ready, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Prepare people for the time in which Jesus will come and judge as king over this earth. Get them ready. The good news... Well, the gospel is that you can be a part of His kingdom. Participation in the kingdom is to be a motivation for godly living. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service and reverence with all. It's all about a kingdom. It's all about Jesus being king. His kingship in the book of Hebrews starts by saying that he created all things. In John 1, it says, The beginning with the Word, was with God, the Word was with, with God. All things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. 
He made all things. He ruled over all things. He created Adam and Eve. And He gave them dominion. He gave them kingship. They were to be His representatives. They were to rule as in place of God Himself. They were to rule over the earth, demonstrating God's righteousness, God's holiness. They were to be the earthly representation of who God is, but they failed miserably. They were disobedient to God. They were proud. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, sin entered this world. And they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. That beautiful, wonderful place that God had created for them to enjoy and participate in. And there were seraphim that were put there to guard the entrance. They couldn't get back into Eden because they had been separated from God. The gospel message is about how a person can get back into the kingdom of God. Because mankind was thrown out of the kingdom. We find in the scripture that in order to be a part of God's kingdom, we must be absolutely 100% righteous. 1 Corinthians 6.9 Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot be unrighteous and be a part of the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.5 5. For this you know with certainty. This you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No man. That sounds pretty hopeless. To be absolutely 100% righteous in order to be a part of the kingdom. Well, except that the gospel of the kingdom... The good news of the kingdom is that we can become a part of God's kingdom through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Let me read 9 and 10 and then 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. Your sins can be washed away through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Colossians 1.13 For He delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ came to take away our sin. 
so that we could be part of His kingdom. Jesus thought that to participate in His kingdom, we need to love the Lord Jesus Christ. James 2.5 Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those that love Him? You see, mankind's problem is all about sin. We have all sinned. We have all, at some point in our lives, sought to live our lives our own way, doing our own thing, pleasing ourselves, making ourselves happy, and giving little or no thought to God. That alienates us from His kingdom. That is just absolute demonstration that we fail to recognize His authority in our lives. He wasn't king in our lives. We weren't living our lives to bring Him honor and glory and to serve His purposes and His ends. We were outside of His kingdom. Jesus came to make it possible to be a part of His kingship. To be a part of His kingdom. Jesus died to welcome us under His protection and deliverance. Jesus came demonstrating that He really is the King. He really does have power over the winds and the sea. He is the Creator. And He commanded the winds and the seas to be still. And they marveled and they said, What man is like this? Who has that kind of authority? He cast out demons. Because ultimately, he's going to cast Satan into hell. And Satan is going to be punished. And to demonstrate that he has that power, and that it will happen in the future, he exercised his power over the demons and cast them out of numerous individuals. And they marveled. And they said, what man has that kind of authority that even the demons obey him? And then He healed the sick to demonstrate that He has the power to forgive sins, to take away the curse of man's judgment and replace it with health and strength. Jesus came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so, in John chapter 3, it says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to him, that is Jesus, by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you have done unless God is with him. Nicodemus realized these were signs. These were demonstrations. These were proofs. Nicodemus said, you know, we know you came from God because it would be impossible for you to do this otherwise. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot 
only not enter the kingdom of God, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what we are looking forward to. Being a part of the kingdom of God. Having the privilege of God reigning over us to protect us and to deliver us. That means we need to repent of our sinfulness. We need to repent of our disobedience. We need to acknowledge, I have not been living my life for the King. I've been living my life for myself. And I need to be born again. It's not just a matter of starting over. It's not a matter of just turning over a new leaf. How do you get rid of all the past that you have done? It's not a matter of of trying to make up for all your sin by outweighing it with more righteousness. No. It requires a new birth. It, It requires a new start. And so the Bible uses a number of different metaphors to illustrate it. In John 3, it's you need to be born again. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's you need to be a new creation. You have to be created all over again. Nicodemus says, well, how can that be? How can I enter my mother's womb a second time? How's that possible? And Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you a teacher in Israel and you do not know these things? He says, that which is born of water is water, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. There is a a natural birthing process that is seen in the embryonic fluid. My daughter's in labor at this very moment. Did her water break yet? I don't know. But it's going to happen if the baby's going to be born. The water breaks. There's a natural birthing process. And then there's a spiritual birthing process that happens through the work of the Holy Spirit that causes a person to have a new relationship to God. They get to start over. They get to be a new creation. They get to be a part of the kingdom when they were not worthy of being a part of the kingdom. That's the good news. The good news is the kingdom's coming. And you can prepare for it. You can be ready for it. You can be a part of it. You can rejoice in it. It's coming. It's coming. And so as we center upon this Palm Sunday, the application is extremely simple. And that is, are you a part of the kingdom of God? Are you ready for that day in which when the Lord Jesus Christ returns... He is going to punish all evil and reward all good. Are you ready when some will be in his presence forever and ever and others are going to be cast into a hell? Are you ready? Jesus came announcing the good news. The good news is you can be a part of the kingdom if you want to be. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter. Such were some of you, it says in 1 Corinthians. But now you're washed. But now you're sanctified. But now you're cleansed. 
through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. We know it. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And he offers to you a part in his kingdom. And so I just simply ask you this morning, have you ever confessed your sin? Have you ever acknowledged before God that you were going your own way, doing your own thing, and not really interested in absolutely 100% obeying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And you want forgiveness. You want to acknowledge Him as your King. You want to acknowledge Him as your Lord. You want to experience Him as, as your Savior. You want to be delivered. You want the protection and the provision and the power of His kingdom. If you desire that this morning, then you need to be born again. Then you need a new start. Then you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take away the punishment of our sin. Who rose again to demonstrate that He in fact is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, your Savior, your King? This morning as I close, I'm going to close with an invitation. That is, this morning, if you want to be a part of His kingdom, if you are willing to say, yes, Jesus is King, Jesus is Lord, He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He rules over all things. Even now. Even now. You know, we talk about making him your savior and your king. Let me tell you something. He is your king. He is your king. He is is your sustainer of your life. You can't breathe without him. And when God decides to take you, you're gone. You are at His disposal. He can do anything He wants with you and you are powerless. He reigns over everything. We just don't see it yet. But one day He's coming back and it's going to be absolutely 100% apparent. That He rules over everything. I'm just asking you this morning to acknowledge what is already true. That is that He rules over your life. But now you are submitting to Him. Now you're saying, I, I, I desire that rule. I desire to walk with you. I desire to praise you. I desire to serve you. I desire to be protected by you. I desire to be delivered by you from this wretched life this miserable curse of sin and eternal punishment. I want to be a part of His kingdom. So I say to you this morning, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know Him to be your King? Have you ever asked Him for forgiveness and said, I need to be forgiven. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take away my sin. I'm going to pray. And if you desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, while I am praying, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. 
I'm going to ask you to stand up, but I want you to acknowledge that I need a king. I need to repent. I need to acknowledge that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Lord of my life. And I need forgiveness for having failed to live that way in the past. If you want to be a part of God's kingdom this morning, I'm going to invite you to make that commitment. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords. All of the Scripture centers upon the kingship of Jesus Christ, the One who created all things, the One who's coming back to this creation, the One that's going to heal this creation, and the One who's going to make a new heaven and a new earth of which all those that are united to Him are going to experience bliss forever and ever. And all those that aren't united to Him are going to experience an eternal wrath. We thank You that we have the good news in proclaiming the kingdom. A good news that anyone here who wants to be can be a part of that kingdom. And so, Lord, we pray for Your Spirit to work and to move and and to bring people to a place where they acknowledge You as King of their lives. Very quickly this morning, if there's anyone here who has never, ever asked Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins so that you can be a part of His kingdom, would you quickly raise your hand so I can see that? Would you, would you raise your hand so I can see that you want to be a part of His kingdom this morning? Yes? Any, any, anybody else? Yes? Thank you. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Anybody else want to be a part of His kingdom? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for these individuals that have said that they want to be a part of Your kingdom. Lord, bless them. Give them understanding. Uh, give, them, give them knowledge of what it is that, that You are about. Oh Lord, create faith within them. Thank You for Your ministry to us. Thank you for your beloved kingship in our hearts and our lives. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.